I look around this beautiful community of yours, you know what I see? Each and every one of you has a big dream. We all have that one thing that we still yearn for. They say money can't buy you happiness. I disagree. Like a goddamn casino. Welcome to the game. Are you feeling This hombre, this name. Bingo, I got Bingo. I'm gonna be a winner. Are you feeling We are all that's left. To the thumping. What's the plan, Granny? Should I grab my shotgun? Are you? We're probably all gonna die. We may be old, but we still have plenty of life to live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. I'm Mike. Joining me, as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? How are you? Greetings and salutations, bingo players. Uh, B11, by the way, is the first number. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> I'm doing well, except for the fact that my home theater receiver decided to die on me out of nowhere, and I've only had it since March. So, luckily, I got a warranty on it, and I shipped it off from the uh, UPS store earlier today. So hopefully I don't get any like pushback on the repairs. Cause it says as long as it's, as long as it's not like, Oh, you spilled water on it or you dropped it or something like that, that it's going to cover it. Um, Cause it looks like a power supply issue or a power mm-hmm. unit, whatever runs inside of it because it, it's the case where it just simply won't turn on. And it was working like normal all weekend. And it just sucks. Cause like, you know, it kind of, it really feels like unless you specifically seek out a TV with great reviews on their internal speakers, the majority of TVs these days, the, the TV speakers just suck. And man, it sounds like such a first world problem to be like, God, I'm going to have to yeah. watch movies for the next almost month on just the TV speakers. But oh. it sucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> especially because I... One thing that I started to get used to is like I used to be someone who would only really turn on the surround sound when I'm specifically watching like a movie, throwing in like a Blu-ray or, you know, watching, streaming something. But but slowly I'll just start keeping it on when I'm actually watching TV, too. So I kind of got used to the difference in the sound of a surround sound system just for normal programming. So now it's like. Man, everything sounds so wimpy. Like they're, yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, that was the latest episode of Mike's trials and tribulations with technology, folks. See you next week. Yeah, Mike. Mike's adventures <laughs> of tech going bad on him. Um, <laughs> joining us as always, Don. How are you, Don and Ellie? Or Don. Yeah, what's uh, going on, bingo players? Uh, greeting. I figured Venom would do, but since he has. E- you forgot it. I'll take it myself. I said B11. <laughs> yeah, but you still never called everyone bingo players, so oh. I figured that 
<laughs> that was the part you were going to... I figured that was low-hanging fruit uh, to the point yeah. that I was going to imitate you for a week. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> What's going on, guys? Yeah, It's uh, great to be here. Cool, better, cool. Course, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess we'll find <laughs> find out about that pretty soon. So today we are discussing the Amazon original movie Bingo Hell. And this is the latest by Gigi Saul Guerrero, which uh, longtime listeners might remember. We reviewed the movie Culture Shock. Um, was that part of Into the Into Dark? The dark. That, that was an Into yeah, the Dark. Yeah, Into the Dark, that, yeah. July and the 4th July yeah. episode. Yep. Yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. actually astute readers, or, um, listeners will actually remember that was the start of me being the uh, unofficial third guest host. That was uh, the first in the long line of episodes yeah. where I guest hosted, and it just became a routine from there, so... That was uh, the first one. Wow. That's some good trivia because I didn't even remember that. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I know it feels like you've been on first the show so long now. I I, I wouldn't even be able to pinpoint when it started. Yeah, that was the first one. It was Culture Shock. Good times. All right. So IMDb has this tagged as comedy fantasy horror for anyone that's interested. Um, And let's see. It's kind of a long synopsis, so I'll shorten it. Maybe I'll just avoid reading the whole thing. Uh, yeah, so we're, I guess, in a neighborhood, a bingo hall gets taken over, um, sold to a new owner who starts running um, crazy high bingo game amounts, but uh, something is not on the level about this bingo hall or the what what do you call the bingo hall bingo caller the uh bingo maestro <laughs> like I, I don't know the official name mm. but barker <laughs> something yeah something's going on um and a group of older residents to the neighborhood probably like the ogs of the neighborhood that are now uh well into their what not quite elderly, but I would say they're... Oh, I would say very elderly. They're all retired. Yeah. All <laughs> uh, retired. It's like the beginning of that it's like era, late six, I guess. They're like late 60s at the or at the youngest. Well, there's a couple yeah. that would probably peg in the 50s, but yeah, like the majority of them would be at least in their 60s. Yeah, I would say retirement age, um, but still... Still, uh, you know, good enough to be independently living, you know, not under yeah, hospice not, care or anything yeah, like not, that. Not, like, not nursing home residents, but, you know, probably just hit retirement age more than likely. Still yep. spry, but, you know, they're obviously not 20 or 30 year olds. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Maybe exactly. we should have just read the synopsis. Well, he was the one that... <laughs> I know, but... <laughs> on, on the age. Well, yeah, because then I'm trying to think of a synopsis off the top of my head without giving anything away. Okay, nice and um, easy. Old people play bingo, shit hits the fan. Boom. Yeah, you couldn't have said that. <laughs> That's all we need. Well, in that case, yeah, the name of the movie, Bingo Hell. That about. <laughs> all right, so with that extended synopsis segment, Venom, let's hear your general thoughts on Bingo Hell. 
Okay, folks. Uh, before I get into my general thoughts, I do want to caveat this review by saying this is going to be a slightly biased review. I am a big, big fan of Gigi Saul Guerrero. Uh, we interact on Twitter a, a few times here and there. Um, I followed her since her short El Gigante came out. I was very excited when Culture Shock was announced to be part of the Into the Dark series. So um, this is a woman I've been following for a long time, and I'm a big fan of hers. So take my review with a grain of salt, please. <clears throat> okay. Overall, I found Bingo Hell to be mildly entertaining. Um, uh, the comedy in it is really only going to speak to a certain generation, I will fully admit that the first half hour of this movie is all character development, very slow, very, you know, nothing really supernatural happening at all. It's really just an introduction of all the different characters in Oak Springs. I think we follow about a half dozen of them, a group of like six or seven of them that are best friends that have been together for a long time. And they're all led by Lupita, the uh, the, the, the newest uh, abuelita of horror, as a lot of people are calling her, or uh, grandmother of horror, if you will. Um, she She is basically like the community leader, if you will. Um, trying to fight gentrif uh, gentrification, um, as you can tell during the opening sequence, as Lupita's walking through town, you see all the different shops that are going to be opening soon. There's like a vape shop, a microbrewery, like all these, you know, little the kitschy little shops that you see in higher end uh, shopping uh, areas. And obviously, you know, we see the older generation kind of uh, being forced out. Um, obviously, you know, sh shyster landowners potentially dropping their property values by buying out all of their surrounding neighbors just in the hopes that they can get their properties nice and cheap. Um, I did like the social commentary of the first act, um, especially um, how it revolved around the elderly, because the elderly, th that's kind of like the forgotten victims of gentrification. You know, people always think about the young people that have to move, people with young families, things like that, people that are still working full time. But people tend to forget about the, the retirees, the older generation. You know, they're on a fixed income. Um, you know, they've lived in their houses longer than anyone can remember. They have no intention of ever wanting to leave their house, regardless of what happens to the surrounding neighborhood. And, you know, we just tend to forget, like, these people, <laughs> could you imagine being 80 years old and just moving? Like, just the, the sheer act of moving, moving furniture. Obviously, an 80-year-old isn't going to be, like, lifting couches. But I'm saying just having to go through the trouble of getting movers, changing over your utilities, getting everything switched. It, it's just, it's more trouble than any octog octogenarian should have to go through. Excuse me, folks. Um so obviously, you know, that generation tends to get forgotten with the gentrification. Um, and then, you know, we see them playing uh, bingo in a bingo hall. It seems to be the big community activity that everyone enjoys. But of course, you know, we get a new nefarious character named Mr. Big who comes into town and buys out the bingo hall, blah, blah, blah. And that's kind of when the movie, oops, sorry, uh, that's kind of when the movie starts to get a little interesting once Mr. Big shows up and then we start to actually get some of the horror set pieces. Um, I'm a fan of Gigi uh, as far as her filmmaking style. I know it might be a little jarring for some. She does a lot of hand uh, hand camera. She does some low angle tilted shots that might be a little off kilter for some people. I like her use of lighting in this movie to kind of signify 
that a supernatural event is about to happen. You know, someone is about to get dispatched when you see the nice blue and red lighting. Um, there is some gore in here. A gore might be a stretch, but there's a lot of blood, at least. I mean, there's one particular kill in this movie that's incredibly bloody. I wouldn't really call it gory. In my opinion, gore and blood are a little bit different. Gore kind of involves more flesh and bone and body parts and hair and whatever else, whereas blood is just blood. Um, so, you know, we, we probably don't get the gore that I, we'd like to see. I especially would like to see Gigi really play with the gore. We, we really haven't seen her do a lot of ultra gory stuff since the, her short El Gigante, which is crazy, too, because her production company is called Lucha Gore Productions. So I was definitely thinking that this being a horror comedy, they were definitely going to bring the viscera to the table. And, you know, they kind of did for one or two scenes. But for but I, I wouldn't go so far as to call this movie gory, even though we get one fair, you know, one or two fairly gory kills early on and then one incredibly bloody kill. But like I said, I, I still wish we could have seen a little bit more, seen Gigi kind of have some more fun with it. Um, uh, what else can I say about this? Um, the story isn't anything we haven't seen before. Um, it, it's nothing new. Been there, done that. Um there's a particular Stephen King adaptation that I could bring up that's very similar to this movie, but I won't do it until the spoiler section in case anyone is interested in watching this. Um, but like I said, once you kind of realize the kind of the, the trajectory that the story is going towards and you realize, uh, you know, that it is kind of a, a send up of this certain Stephen King adaptation, um, it kind of loses a little bit of its fire uh, in the third act. Um, it is cool to see Lapita and the old people kind of um, rise up against this new threat. I mean, I was really hoping that this movie would be more like VFW last year, which for those who don't remember, VFW was my number one movie of 2020. I absolutely adore that film. And when I had heard the basic concept of the movie, I was really hoping it was going to be more like that. Unfortunately, not nearly as over-the-top fun and violent as VFW, um, which ultimately ends up being a hindrance. Because like I said earlier, the comedy in this movie really is only going to work if you're older. Um, there's a scene early on where Lupita gets out of bed and she just sits, stands next to her bed, kind of just stretching all her joints and stretching her neck and everything. I found that incredibly entertaining because that's my morning, folks. When you're over 50 years old, you don't just jump out of bed in the morning. You wake up, you sit at the edge of your bed, and you kind of stretch for a little bit and get the kinks out of your neck and everything else. It, 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 it's almost like starting a car. I have to warm up my car before I can actually move. Um, so obviously if you're in your twenties or your thirties and you're a genre fan, I would imagine a lot of you aren't going to get a lot out of this movie. Um, the, the comedy is not going to hit for you. The characters aren't going to hit for you, but for, for, like I said, for whatever this it's worth, I found this to be a mildly entertaining romp. I had fun with it. I don't know that it's anything that I'm really going to return to anytime soon. I, I can't say that it's going to have any kind of contention in any of my top lists for the end of the year. But for whatever it's worth, I and I have been reading a lot of reviews. And unfortunately, there are a lot of negative reviews. And I'm sure that um, Don and Mike's opinions are probably going to track more with the general public. Um, like I said at the beginning of my review, realize that I am a fan of Gigi and Luchagor Productions. So, you know, I was excited to see this. 
Was I disappointed mildly? I would say, yeah, I would have liked to have seen her go, like I said, a little bit more over the top with it, maybe give me a little bit more Lupita, you know, hand-to-hand action. Obviously, you know, these are all people in their 60s and 70s, so it's not like we're going to see big action sequences, but I, w- I would like to have seen a little bit more. But, you know, you know, we kind of get the culmination that we expect in these types of movies, you know, the... Um, the kind of social commentary, you know, the, the community comes together, blah, blah, blah. But um, overall, like I said, this is an unremarkable film, fa- mildly underwhelming. It's not anything that I could really recommend too much to people. Like I said, a lot have been there, done that. We've seen it before. Um, but ultimately, I still love Gigi Guerrero. She is still one of my favorite up and coming horror filmmakers. And I'm just going to chalk this up as a little bit of a misstep. You know, maybe it was the pandemic. Maybe they kind of rushed production to get this out by October. Who knows? I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but uh, let's just say, I mean, if this is a movie that they put together, like like a 14-day shoot or something like that, then I might like it a little bit more if I were to find that out. But um, as far as the majority of genre fans, uh, there's not really a whole lot here to recommend. Like I said, if you're a fan of Richard Brake, he does a great job. I think Richard Brake is awesome in everything. He was the highlight of Three from Hell for me. Um, and that's from someone who, coming off of uh, Devil's Rejects, is one of my favorite films of that year. Three from Hell kind of disappointed me, but Richard Brake was awesome. And again, in this movie, Richard Brake is great. Is he enough to kind of save the film and you know, make it something that I can recommend to people. Uh, I'm kind of on the fence on that, but I'm still going to say if you're a fan of movies like Late Phases or even VFW from last year, this movie has a lot of those kind of elements of seniors getting together and, you know, uh, opposing the odds and everything else. So if you're a fan of that kind of stuff, I would say go ahead and check it out. Otherwise, I would not call this essential viewing. Mike? Um, Dawn, I was like, wait a minute, me? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Dawn, what did you think of uh, Bingo Hell? All right. Um, Well, uh, there's areas of of, uh, what happened that I agree with Venom, and then there's other areas that I don't. Um, The one area that I do agree with, um, I do... I do like the setup. I do think the idea of what's going on in this community, the idea of you know, this patriarchal figure that's trying to come in, that's, you know, already been there, seen everything, who's trying to, you know, keep everything together in the sense of community and family and trying to rally everybody around her into fighting against this evil that's coming in and taking over. I like the idea of that. It's a fairly fun one. It's a simple one. You know, it works. And, it you know, it, it gives a lot, it gives the, the, the film a lot to like. I do like the gore or, you know, the bloodshed, if you want to call it that. Um, the, the, you know, they're basically body melting or, you know, just in general, just accidents that happen to people. But they're really brutal and graphic, and I have a really good time with them. Uh, the scenes are really well shot. Like he said, they're, you know, very stylish and they're very well made and they look really good. Um that, just because of the concept of the hor- the body horror happening, but you know the whole the scene as a whole, they're really good and they're some of my favorite parts of the film. But then there's parts of the film that I just find flat out stupid. Um, a lot of this is centered on the fact that why the ever loving fuck is Bingo the only thing that 
is supposedly <laughs> dangerous to people. Like, you win the prize, and I, I know we're going to spoil what's going on later on, but this ramshackle rinky-dink bingo hall gives out, what, $10,000 prizes opening night to people, and nobody mm-hmm. thinks that's suspicious? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> Well, Lupita did. <laughs> I, yeah, but I'm just saying is that, okay, yeah, I, I understand you're overwhelmed by the glitz and the glamour of what's going on, but you really started with $10,000 prizes opening day on a bingo hall for a group of seniors <laughs> in that kind of a community? Like, yeah, no, that's just stupid. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, you know, a lot of what I'm going to say here is, you know, what's going on is just stupid. Um, you know, we don't get any sense of why bingo is important, you know, why the, this community would be so overwhelmed with a bingo with bingo thing that they would even want to go in the first place. Because unfortunately, we only spend our time with the five or six main characters. So we don't get to see anyone else in the community, you know, from what it looks like at the very beginning, bingo is only enjoyed by the very six people that we follow to begin with. So why everyone else in the community is now going to suddenly show up to this other thing is just a complete mystery. The fact that nobody around them is even the least bit concerned or even aware that they're missing once they have verifiable, you know, identified bodies of people that have graphically melted away and are nothing more than a pile of blood and green slime. Nobody does anything. Nobody calls in the police. Nobody thinks that there's anything worth checking out to her story. Yeah, it just screams of just trying to, you know, without any kind of, you know, rational thought or, you know, thought put behind it. So, yeah, that kind of lost me. Um, Even though I enjoy the beginning half with, you know, setting up the characters and all that. It is kind of dull. It is. It does drag a little. You know, it takes way too long for something to start happening. I don't care about the white girl and her son. I <laughs> completely superfluous characters that had no business being there. I didn't care about anything. And yeah, just like I said, uh, you know, I don't want to, you know, spoil too much of this, but. There's parts of this I like. There's parts of this I really can't stand. I'm still kind of torn where which one would which one wins out in the end because they're both kind of fighting neck and neck. So I'm kind of like with Venom at the end. Um, I I really don't know where I stand with this one. Uh, overall, I like Culture Shock a lot more than this, but I think this is a better made film if that makes sense. So. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I guess that's uh, my general thoughts on this one. Apparently, uh, the flyers in the neighborhood are incredibly powerful <laughs> to make everybody want to play bingo. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> yeah, um, I. so, well, I'll get to Don's step in a sec. But um, as far as I go, yeah, this this movie i would say my biggest criticism of it would just be that it feels kind of light like a light fair if you're in the mood for some lighter horror that's fine i think the messaging is obviously there venom already brought it up gentrification's probably the number one theme in this one if not just the theme like (laughs) what they're going for here um now 
does that work to help or against a movie considered we just had Candyman come out recently mm-hmm. that really was heavy on the same topic. And that's not to say multiple movies can't cover the same issue because of course they can. But just in terms of, you know, when there's a movie that's almost universally liked and rated high, I said almost because not everybody, but, you know, and then, you know, not uh, another movie comes along that tackles the same thing. It's, it's it's hard to like totally not think of like okay other examples that might have been done better or not better and all that kind of stuff. With that said, um, you know I would I would say that I would give a mild recommend to this one. I I heard a lot of like negative stuff about about it going in. I, I didn't read any full on reviews because I didn't you know I didn't want like breakdowns of it, but just kind of like you know the one or two sentence blurbs people tend to post on social media after they've seen a movie. Um, the bingo hall. Yeah. Obviously this neighborhood's kind of getting taken from them in multiple ways. It's, uh, like, uh, somewhat what Venom has brought up. The, the neighborhood's kind of turning over to the next generation, but not just the next generation, kind of like different demographics. And for this, for the initial group of people that we're dealing with, the bingo hall seems to be like the one refuge, the one place that isn't going to get messed with because they're pretty much the customers of it right they're they're not going to be going to the cool new coffee shop or you know i I don't remember each little shop she walked by at the beginning to get to the um bingo hall but they i mean they were laying it on pretty thick there like (laughs) showing how how much the neighborhood's kind of changed um in probably in the last you know handful of years to where she probably doesn't even recognize much about it she's obviously uh, visibly frustrated um about it and you know there's probably in her mind little she can do and you know we what are they going to do they're going to go to the bingo hall because that's the one familiar place um that up to then seems untouched by everything going on around well sorry to break it to you but the bingo hall ends up getting sold now with a movie like this i think to don's point of like well how come no one called police when like people go missing now that it could just be me putting too much thought into it but i think sort of the point of that is that the the messaging there is like no one cares about these people anymore and eventually they stop even caring about each other once they kind of get sucked into what the bingo hall is offering Because they are almost like once they get sucked into this new place and the money, um, I think they almost are a zombie-like state. I also think that's a big reason that instead of blood in this movie, we get the usage of that green goo. I think it's supposed to kind of uh, get a point like a messaging of, you know, the sliminess of money and what it can do to people when that's kind of like the main objective because that's really what keeps reeling people back in, right? Is the dollar amount and, and how easy it is to get sucked into that in, in life because, you know, these people are probably like your average uh, middle-class, you may probably have like an average middle-class or lower middle-class life um, probably aren't in any type of financial security or financial secure situation. You know, I wouldn't say they're in poverty, but they're, you know, getting some extra money thrown their way would probably help out. So it's very alluring and it gets sucked in and it's it's hard because even when you, the viewer is seeing bad things happen around them, it 
almost doesn't matter to them. And I, I think part of that is like the nightmare logic of like, cause like if you, if you take everything so literal, I, I agree with Don, it'd be like, well, as people start missing and dead bodies start piling up, you would think where's law, like law enforcement. Why isn't this being investigated? Um, but that's where I guess I maybe am being like, uh, what, what am I, what's the term I'm thinking? Maybe I'm being too, like okay with the fact that it might be like some of that kind of nightmare logic going on um or just everyone's in such an entranced they're so entranced with the bingo game that they just lose sight of everything around them and i, I you know i think there's some messaging with that plane being played um with how it's written and how it's shot but all that said yeah it i i think it's 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 light like we obviously get our messaging I, I do wish, and, and Venom, you brought up VFW. That's really what I thought they were building towards, where we were mm-hmm. just going to get, like, ball. Like, I thought the third act would be, like, more balls to the wall over the top. Yep. Like, just craziness going on in that bingo hall. But I feel like what we get initially is kind of what they stick with. Um, that maybe that's budget. Maybe that's whoever they had to run it by. Like, I don't know the process of, like, making movies for Amazon, so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we're talking they, to you, Jason Blum. Yeah, I don't <laughs> You know, I don't know because we don't hear a lot. I mean, so anyways, um, I'll, I, I, like I said, I still give it a mild recommend. Um, I, I don't know if it's going to be on the top 10 list for 2021, yeah. but I wouldn't, you know, I've seen articles that are like, oh, just skip it entirely. I wouldn't say skip it. I would just yeah. say it's probably just lighter, lighter fare. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine like these movies that come out, uh, seasonal movies like this that are meant to come out on October, they're, they probably don't get... Uh, the time and money put into them that like a big theatrical release probably would. So well, it feels like that, an that's into the dark movie. Like honestly, yeah, like yeah, like exactly. budgetary I mean, yeah, exactly. budgetary wise and stuff, and kind of the story, kind of like the like the quote unquote learning a lesson about something type story. That feels like what you would get on Into the Dark. Was Into the Dark Hulu though, or was yes, it Amazon? Was, yeah, but okay. they were still Blumhouse though. It was still Blum, yeah. Right. And I was going to say, like, if they ever did, like, a like this would almost be, like, something that you would see on a, on a third season if they, yeah, you know, no, renewed absolutely. it, like, this type of movie. Yeah. yeah. And you could I, probably I, just set it on one of the holidays and claim that was the claim that was the one. I mean, you could have easily set this as, like, a Thanksgiving kind of thing where it's, like, you know, that they're taking over Thanksgiving weekend and she's rallying to fight them off to save the, save the holiday or something. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Hmm. For sure. Oh, man, what do you say? Time to talk some spoilers? I think so. All right, man. Um, I mentioned earlier that this movie is very reminiscent of a certain Stephen King adaptation. And I okay, guess good. I wasn't the only one because I was going to say the same thing. I felt I oh, yeah, felt exactly the same. Yep. It's Needful uh, Things. Yeah. yeah, this movie is Needful Things with gore. Um, trimmed down into a more watchable running time. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, that's right. None of us have actually mentioned that the movie's only an hour and twenty-five minutes. So kudos there, especially in October when we're trying to get as many you know horror watches in as possible. I appreciate these under ninety-minute movies. So yeah, thank you, Gigi. Thank you, Jason. But um, <laughs> uh, 
like I said, I, I would love to get some budget information on this one. Unfortunately, IMDb doesn't have anything. But like I said, if this was like a gorilla production where they put this together in like a couple or or they shot for like a couple of weeks and put it together for like, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars or whatever, uh, I would be a lot more impressed, obviously, having that information. But without that uh, information, I kind of have to take it at face value. What do you got done? Uh, I was just going to say, uh, I've kind of gotten kind of decent at this. and. And mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be corrected automatically. To me, this feels two million around two weeks. See, if that's the case, then I'm I'm going to bump up my rating a little bit. Not that we rate the movies here, but my personal rating is going to go up a little bit. Because, like I said, it you know, um, I, it's I unfortunate mean, with the pandemic. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I would imagine if Gigi, if she listened, you listen to this, you can automatically, you can you know, easily correct that. But I, <laughs> my, you know. My trained eye, you know, for what that would mean. Mm-hmm. I, I'm looking at this and I say ten week. I say two weeks shoot at two million. Well, like I said, um, you know, hopefully we'll get that answer because, like I said, hopefully that might potentially change some people's opinions on the film. Um, you know, I talk the big one of the biggest examples I always bring up is a movie called Mulberry Street, um, starring uh, Sal. What the hell's his name? Sal Devita. Is that his name? Damn it. I can't think of his. No, Nick Demichi. Nick Demichi. Um, if anybody's ever seen that movie, it's a Jim Mickle film that they made for $16,000. Now, if you if you know that that movie only costs $16,000 and you watch it, it's an absolute wonder to behold. If you go into it thinking that it's a multi-million dollar theatrical film and then you watch it, you're probably going to be disappointed with it. So this is what I mean about liking to have that information, because, like I said, if I find out that this was a two week shoot at, you know, under two million, I I would give Gigi all the credit in the world for doing it. But, uh, you know, if we find out the budget was nine million and they shot it over two months Eh, then we might have a little bit more of an issue with it. But, you know, I have faith in Gigi for whatever that's worth. So, um, all right, let's get into spoilers. Um, We've kind of already talked a little bit about the setup. Like I said, the first, we do get a cold open where we we don't know at the time, but uh, it's Mario, the bingo hall owner. And basically we see him just dancing in his living room. He's got a briefcase full of money dancing around and then suddenly out of nowhere he just starts swallowing bingo uh balls the the ping pong balls that they use in bingo he basically just starts grabbing them voluntarily and just starts chewing them and trying to swallow them eventually his throat is blocked and he keels over dead and that and then we go to our title sequence that's our cold open it's literally just a quick choking death uh and then like i said the next full act of the film almost a half hour is uh pretty much just character setup we meet lupita we meet dolores um we meet dolores's grandson caleb who's you know kind of a little dick but we'll get to that um we meet morris uh played by clayton landy who man i thought that was richard maul and i'm like did richard maul come back from the dead because I, I was just convinced that Morris was being played by an old Richard Mull, but I, obviously I'm very, very wrong. Um, and, and then a few more characters from the neighborhood, Yolanda, the the beauty salon owner. Um, and uh, we hear mention of Mario's wife, Patricia, but she's not actually in the film. She may have actually died before the start of this film. But anyway, the point is, is that we spend the first half hour just kind of getting character development of all these characters 
obviously this is a horror show, so I'm not going to get into every little bit of character development that was done. The main one that I'll get into, though, is Dolores, who is Lupita's best friend. Um, she's a black woman. She is a grandmother, as I said, a grandmother to Caleb. Um, her son must have married a white woman because uh, basically Caleb's mother is a white girl. She obviously has some kind of addiction. We never get an exact answer as to what, but she's very thin, sunken eyes, you know, black uh, all around her eyes. Um, she obviously looks like she you know, she's very fidgety throughout most of the scenes that she's in. So she's obviously an addict of some kind living with Dolores, uh, obviously for financial need. But, of course, treating Dolores like absolute garbage, even though, you know, for the most part, it seems like Dolores is letting her and her son stay there rent free, basically. But, you know, that's a story for another day. Um and then, like I said, we meet all the other characters and then we finally go and we play bingo and, you know, we see the old folks all having a good time, uh, you know, playing bingo. Lupita gets up and has, you know, kind of like a community leader speech where she thanks everyone for sticking with Oak Springs and, you know, not leaving when everybody else left. Because, I mean, they never actually get into the population of the town, but I mean, I, I can't we, we never see more than like a couple of hundred at any point. And that's at the end, that's later in the film when they've all basically become bingo zombies and are just kind of shambling into the bingo hall. But we'll get to that here in a little bit. Um, and then basically uh, one morning, Lupita and everyone in the neighborhood wakes up and the entire neighborhood is plastered with flyers for the bingo hall that it's just been bought by, you know, it's under new management and they're having a grand opening, a grand reopening tonight. Lupita obviously is extremely pissed off because she had gotten assurances from Mario that he would never sell the bingo hall. Uh, and now she wakes up and, you know, the bingo hall is under new management. She goes to Mario's house and knocking on the door, uh, she gets no answer. This is when we find out that the man from the cold open is Mario, the guy who swallowed all the ping pong balls, because as Lupita walks away, we see the camera kind of pans over and shows Mario's body on the floor, still with ping pong balls in his mouth. So um, Lupita obviously uh, rounds up all the gang. Like I said, the six or seven of them that we see, the, the tight knit group, and they decide that they're going to go to opening night at the bingo hall and kind of shake things up a little bit, maybe give Mr. Big. And yes, by the way, it is. I wasn't kidding about Mr. Big earlier. It's actually called Mr. Big's bingo hall. And our big bad in the film, who is played by Richard Brake, of course, is Mr. Big. So that night, the bingo hall opens. It attracts a larger group than they've ever seen in the past. Um, and the place is decked out like a casino. They even, I think that line is even in the movie. Um, there's neon on the front. You walk in. There's beautiful curtains and neon lighting. And it just looks way better than the last time that we saw that same bingo hall the night before. Uh, Lupita and them decide to sit at a table but not play. They're not there to play bingo. They don't want to support Mr. Big. But obviously most of the people in the community are still playing bingo. And then uh, as they're playing bingo, the first person to win a hand is, of course, uh, Caleb's mother, the drug addict white girl. I forgot her name. What the hell is her name? Rachel or Raquel? Something like that, but she's yeah, so unimportant I forgot. Exactly. She's not in it very long, unfortunately. Uh, I think it's Raquel, yeah, as I look at her picture here. 
Um, <clears throat> so Raquel actually is the winner of the first night, uh, the first bingo uh, activity. And they go to announce the prize and, you know, they make a big deal about it, drum roll and everything else. And boom, the prize is $10,000. And um, for somebody like Raquel, uh, this is life-changing money for her. Obviously, anybody with half a brain knows $10,000 is not life-changing money, not in this world. But, you know, to her, she has, you know, stars in her eyes and everything else. Um, what we see after she wins the prize is we basically see her go on a spending spree. She goes shopping and she shows up with, you know, bags and boxes from like high end shops. I'm like, how much of your 10,000 did you already go through? It almost yeah. seems it almost seems like she has an addiction to shopping more than an addiction to drugs. I'm not sure if that's maybe what they were going for. Well, you, you kind of got the idea with that because she made, you know, she made the comment earlier, how do you know, wearing the tags and, oh, right. Yep. You know, not putting removing. them back. Yeah. Wearing the tags and not putting them back or, you know, affording new sets of clothes, you know, every week. Yeah. I, yeah, I, valid. I, I I thought that was more what they were going for. She was a shopaholic more than anything. It's just, it was just so weird the way that she played it, though, because like I said, they cast a thin white girl with a sunken in face. She had black around her eyes. And like I said, she seemed jittery, especially in the scene later in the film where she's making breakfast for everyone and she completely fucks up the breakfast. Um, she seems very jittery, like she's coming down from something, you know, so it could be just coming down from shopping. Like maybe she hasn't shopped in so long that she's starting to withdraw. They don't make it, they don't say it plainly in the film. So, you know, um, it's yeah, up to the viewer's I mean, discretion. Mm -hmm. It could just, it could be one of those things where they're, if it's a commentary on addiction itself, it could be like, well, if, if you're showing the traits of addiction, okay, now you got some money. So your addiction just moves from drugs to shopping, basically. Yeah, I can see that. Um, and then, uh, like I said, we, we see her kind of getting back from a shopping spree. She has uh, a motel room. Uh, she goes in the motel room and she starts having like a little personal fashion show, trying on all the different outfits that she has. And then we start getting shots of the same motel room, but almost like in a different reality. Like the lighting is different. It's more dark and green. The room looks more gritty. And we start to realize as the viewer that that's the, the real world. What we're seeing when she's like up during uh, her little fashion show, trying on all her new shows, that's not real. Apparently um, the people who win at the bingo hall basically are given like, it seems like they're given like maybe a day or less uh, to live out like a dream. Like every time somebody wins something, yeah, they win money, but they also, um, you know, act out something that they've always wanted to do for whatever the case may be. And with uh, this one, uh, with uh, Raquel's uh, scene, we're seeing the scene kind of shifting back and forth between the brightly lit, colorful scene of Raquel trying on the clothes to then a darkly lit, uh, grungy scene where Raquel's completely naked, standing in front of a mirror. Suddenly we see Mr. Big show up right behind her, and I'm not sure if he's whispering stuff in her ear or what, but she basically, in her fantasy, she starts to take off um, clothing that she's wearing, like a shirt or the dress, whatever it is that she's wearing. But in reality, what we see is she's actually 
peeling. She's digging her hands into her flesh and her chest and actually pulling her skin off. Very reminiscent of Meatloaf in the Pelts episode of Masters of Horror. If anybody remembers that, how he kind of skinned himself almost like a vest. Um, kind of n- not nearly as gory or impressive as that episode, but you know, we still see Raquel in the real world, all disheveled. That's why I thought she was on drugs because she just looked all nasty. You know, she looked like a meth head, you know? It kind um, of made me think of the scene in Poltergeist. A little bit. Yeah. Bathroom. With the face peel. Definitely. Because, guess, because by that time they had been living at the house and he's probably exhausted with the situation. So it was kind of felt like somebody was in front of the mirror and then he's yeah. rips it up off his face. more. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's basically what we get. Raquel ends up peeling um, two small chunks. Well, I say small, but they're like baseball size uh, Two like baseball size chunks of her flesh off of her chest and I'm not sure how the scene ends. So I, I can just assume that she uh, dies from her injuries. Uh, unfortunately, I did not have enough time to watch this a second time. Listeners, you know, I always watch everything twice for this show, but because it's October and I kind of spread myself a little thin, as far as podcast appearances go, I'm not going to have the time to watch, uh, to rewatch the fresh cuts uh, movies this month. So please forgive me if I don't remember every single thing, but uh, like I said, said i don't remember specifically how the raquel scene ends i think it just ends with that her peeling the uh, flesh off or blah 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 so one of uh one of the things i liked most about the movie and why like the first half hour might have been justified is because i do like the fact that we got to know this well i guess what's left of the previous generation in the community and yeah kind of how they're, they're sort of banded together remain friends and it helps so once the bingo stuff happens and they start getting isolated from each other for the sake of just winning money it kind of drives the point home more it it, it, it's better i think that's a better way to do it than just have like you know random people at the bingo hall it happening to because then you don't have you don't see the relationships go from like tight knit to like nothing you know it, it would almost start out like well they don't know each other in the first place but this it, I, I felt it kind of did a good job of um uh, of you know take or taking an arc with the characters in that sense yeah absolutely definitely this is i also forgot to mention that for me Right before this scene, uh, the the first bingo night scene, um, this is where I think Lupita starts to get really, really funny. Like right after the flyers are distributed and she starts getting really, really pissy, uh, like she'll start yelling in the street for just no, not no reason, but, she'll you know, talking to no one, just yelling at the situation. I just found that endlessly entertaining. Didn't remind me of my grandmother at all. My grandmother was the complete opposite, very quiet, unassuming, but I still just found it so incredibly entertaining. And, yeah, and then for the majority, uh, for the rest of the film, I thought Lupita was great. I, I, I think that's a, yeah, it's a, it's a good depiction of what happens when like you pretty much feel like you're on your own and sensing something or seeing something creep in and everyone else is kind of like preoccupied and you're just in disbelief that like no one else is catching on to something sinister under the surface. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's see. And then right after this, oh, and then I wrote down here, hey, there's an El Gigante poster in Caleb's room. I don't know if you guys noticed the El Gigante mm-hmm. poster. I noticed it right away. I love that short. 
Um, and then they showed Dolores smoking a cigar, which that's one thing my grandmother did do. Yes, my mother, my grandmother smoked cigars, and she smoked them unapologetically. And anytime someone told her she shouldn't be smoking cigars, she'd light another one. <laughs> I love that one. Uh, but yeah, seeing Dolores smoke a cigar, probably unusual to maybe more of the Caucasians watching the film. But I think in uh, the Hispanic Latino um, community, I think that's a little bit more common for the older generation to be smoking heavily into their <laughs> old age. So awesome, awesome touch there. Um, after this, we get kind of a heartwarming scene with Caleb where he ends up meeting one of his father's uh, childhood friends. Um, I believe his name was Eric. Uh, and Eric basically tells him a story about his dad and how he, him and his dad used to get in all sorts of trouble. Actually, I, I forgot to mention that Eric catches Caleb breaking into his car and he literally is in the process of stealing a handgun that Eric has in the glove compartment. So, um, but Eric, like I said, Eric catches him in the act, but I think he recognizes him right away because how many young people are in this town? I mean, there's probably a handful of them, really. So he recognizes Caleb. They have a little bit of a drug uh, public service announcement scene, little little sappy, but, you know, whatever. It, it I, was, serves, uh, yeah, uh -huh. I was I was kind of wondering if Caleb plays into the end in the prominent way he does, if that was even trying to be messaging like, hey, it's up to like the Nick, you know, the future generations to kind of like stop what's going on. Absolutely. Like they have yeah. to be a part of the process, too. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, well, I mean, we'll get to it. But, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a scene in here where Lupita is in a very bad situation, basically about to get killed. And Caleb actually saves her, uh, the youngest guy in the town. So, yeah, I, I definitely see that message there. Um, so after our little random drug PSA, <laughs> they share a Kit Kat. Aw, so sweet. Um, then we get to the next night of bingo. And then... Um, on this night of bingo, one of our group actually wins. Um, what's the name of the black dude? Clarence. Clarence uh, ends up winning on the second night. And what is his prize? $100,000. Now, that really is life-changing money, especially if you're a retiree. I mean, that's basically going to, you know, you're not going to live in the lap, lap of luxury for the rest of your life, but at the very least, you don't have to worry about your bills. So that's kind of nice. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, he wins his $100,000 and he ends up going back to his garage. Clarence is the owner of the local garage uh, mechanic, blah, blah, blah. He's sitting there in his garage working on an old classic pickup truck. And, you know, he's basically drinking beer and celebrating his win and everything else. And then suddenly we start getting the same uh, kind of filming techniques that we saw with the Raquel scene, where suddenly we're seeing two different versions of the garage. We see the brightly lit, colorful one where Clarence is dancing and drinking beer. And then we see the real world where Clarence is drinking fucking motor oil. He's downing um, bottles of motor oil like their beer. So apparently, you know, um, Mr. Big is making these people see things that aren't there and uh, obviously mistaking reality for fantasy, blah, blah, blah. You know, like I said, needful things. We've seen it before. Um, and what we see is in uh, the fantasy world, Clarence turns the engine off and takes the key with him to go continue working 
on on the engine. But in the real world, we see the key still in the ignition and the engine still running. So, uh, you know, we see Clarence walk up to the truck in the fantasy world, dancing Mm -hmm. and singing, and he starts working on the car. And this is the bloody scene I was talking about, folks, because then in the real world, we see Clarence put his hands into the engine and the the, uh, radiator fan just decimates his hands. Literally, gallons of blood are shooting back into Clarence's face and he's still singing Uh, and dancing. (laughs) This is the scene they really went for it. Like yeah, they, they yeah they left nothing on the cutting room floor with this one. I mean, they used all the fake blood that they could get their hands on, I would imagine. Um, this is a fun little scene. Obviously, it's sad because Clarence is one of the characters that we're actually following, that we actually care about. Um, but ultimately, at least he dies with a smile on his face. I guess, I guess that's the silver lining of everyone's death in this movie, that they do die happy because they think... They're partaking in, you know, something they've always wanted to do or something that they love doing or are addicted to or whatever the case may be. So, yeah, yeah I, I think I'm, I'm wondering if like the use of like, um, how can I put it? Kind of like the dual like reality versus fantasy mm-hmm. is messaging about like how, you know, money's giving you the false sense of happiness because it's like, yeah, money can get you some certain things but is that really what makes you happy because in real life like this is what's actually happening as a result of it you know uh, there's so much as far as like messaging messaging goes sometimes it's hard to always um yeah understand it 100 percent on a first time watch and that's not due to a you know that's not not the fault of the film it's just there's a lot to process and sometimes one time watches you're not able to 100 percent sure at all. and plus by the time you're at, by the time we get to this part of the film we're solidly into all the horror set pieces and maybe people aren't thinking about the social commentary as much so um because i definitely like i said w- when i saw all that blood shooting into clarence's face i wasn't thinking about the reality versus fantasy uh kind of subtext there but yeah i i absolutely see your point after the fact though uh so, yeah, that's uh, that's the end of Clarence. And then after Clarence has been dispatched, we now go to what will be our final night at the bingo hall. And what we get is this cool little scene where all the residents of the town um, are literally and I mentioned it earlier in the podcast, uh, how they're kind of almost zombie like and shambling, mm-hmm. like literally like George Romero walkers just shambling into the bingo hall for their nightly bingo game. Of course, you know, Richard Brake is there, the big carnival barker style bingo hall owner, whatever you want to call him, demon, uh, evil, blah, blah, blah. Um, and of course, uh, they they go through the process. You know, we get a winner. Um, who who actually won the final night? I totally forgot. Who won the last one? Was uh, it Dolores or no? Damn no, it! I can't Damn. remember. See, folks, now you know why I watch everything twice. <laughs> uh, so basically, um, uh, they have the final night. Oh, it's it's Yolanda. Yolanda. The, uh, yeah, because she gets the pissed. Salon. Yeah, yeah the beauty salon owner. Yep, yep, she wins, I think. Or, or at least we see her with an envelope of money later, so I'm not sure if that came directly from Mr. Big or if that's her bingo winnings. I may be confusing it, folks. I'm, I apologize, but... 
Um, so basically, whoever it is that wins uh, the final prize that night, it turns out to be a $1 million prize. Of course, at this point, Lupita is already very aware of what Mr. Big is doing, that he's you know, basically offing all the winners because they all just end up either dying or disappearing. Um, Lupita does eventually find uh, Mario's body. She ends up breaking into his house to finally confront him because he hadn't been answering his door for multiple days. And that's when she finds him dead on the floor with the, uh, the, the bingo balls, the ping pong balls in his mouth. So instantly she you know, puts two and two together and knows that Mr. Big is up to something. She ends up going back to the bingo hall with a shotgun in hand and, you know, in the hopes of stopping Mr. Big. Unfortunately, Mr. Big kind of gets the upper hand on her and is able to disarm her and is basically holding her up against the bingo, the podium that he stands at when he's calling out the balls. And he's basically just squishing her head against the podium. I actually thought I heard cracks every now and then. I'm hoping that was the podium cracking. Um, so, but as literally as Richard Brake, Mr. Big is about to uh, finish Lupita off. In comes Caleb from the back room. Uh, by the way, at this point, uh, Mr. Big has gotten Eric to kill himself. Eric was another, uh, I told you earlier about Eric. He was Caleb's father's friend. He also was struggling with addiction, and Mr. Big was basically able to tempt him into injecting a gigantic, and I mean like a circus-like gigantic syringe of something into his own neck. Um, Eric, right before he injects himself, Eric apologizes to Caleb and says, you know, I couldn't fight my demons or something along those lines. Caleb then takes a couple of shots at Mr. Big, who, um, and then we get the scene out in the main bingo hall with Lupita. And like I said, just as he's about to kill Lupita, uh, Caleb comes out, shoots Mr. Big, um, and then as soon as he shoots Mr. Big, you see all of the bingo players kind of come out of a trance. They, they all like kind of shake awake and they're like, you know, what the hell's going on? I don't I don't want to be here, blah, blah, blah. But then they kind of see uh, Mr. Big on the ground kind of writhing for pain and, and basically proclaiming you can't kill me, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, we get our big heartwarming scene where the community comes together to fight the common enemy. Um, mm -hmm. Lupita just cr crushes the shit out of his head with the butt of a shotgun. The entire time, I thought the shotgun wasn't loaded. That's why she was beating the shit out of him. But as soon as she's done killing Mr. Big, she then shoots the monitor. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Why the hell wouldn't you just shoot Mr. No, Big? that's why she lost the bullets, because that's the first thing she does. No, that's no, no she, absolutely not. No, no Dom, she, definitely not. I, I, I'm sitting there the whole time as she's crushing his head with the barrel of the shotgun saying, is she out of bullets? Why doesn't she shoot? And then literally after that, she picks up the gun without having reloaded it and shoots the bingo screen, the monitor up on the front. I even have it in my notes because I was very confused as to why she didn't just shoot Mr. Big. But on second thought, I completely understand why Lupita didn't shoot him because it is way more satisfying to kill him the way that she did than to just pull a trigger and end it quickly. So bravo Lupita for crushing his damn head. She ends up shooting, like I said, she ends up shooting the bingo hall monitors, which then causes a fire in the bingo hall. Bingo Hall goes up and flames. No, that's Caleb. That's Caleb lighting the prize on fire. 
All right, the money. I totally forgot about the money. You're absolutely right. Caleb comes in. Uh, there's one of those, uh, what do we call those things? The the chambers with the floating money. Uh, we, we've probably yeah. seen it on multiple game shows. I don't know if anybody ever had a name. I'm sure there's a name for it, but I can't think of it. Um, but it's that, you know, that clear glass chamber that people will stand in and then there's money whipping around in there from the wind and you get to keep mm -hmm. whatever you can grab, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, that's where the million dollar first prize is being held inside of that glass container. Caleb sees that there's an opening to the container. He lights up his Zippo lighter, puts it in uh the uh, glass chamber, the money goes up in flame instantly. He then pushes over uh, the box to fall on the floor, and that's when the majority of the fire starts. So, yeah, thank you, Don, for reminding me about that. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. And then I think that is now the end. I think we do still get, like, a, a heartwarming epitaph there at the end after the fire, but, again, not really anything worth bringing up. Like I said, this film is definitely going to speak to certain people more. Uh, I think the older you are, the more you, you're going to appreciate this movie. Um, like I said, if you're a fan of stuff like Late Phases, VFW, then I do give this a mild recommend. I mean, it's not a bad movie. It's definitely not. I don't think anybody here has said that it was a bad movie. I know Don isn't real happy with some of the decisions that were made in the movie, some of the writing decisions, things like that. Um, I myself... Uh, I am not real happy that Gigi didn't really go for it and go over the top. But once again, if there were budgetary restraints, then, you know, good for her for even being able to get something out in October for us. Um, but yeah, like I said, this doesn't really look as, as I read the reviews and I spent a long time today reading reviews. Uh, and unfortunately, it seems like the reviews are not um good for the most part unfortunately they they kind of they're anywhere from kind of middle of the road to below that so unfortunately this is probably this probably isn't going to be a film that advances Gigi Saul Guerrero's career too much but hopefully it just gets eyes on her and people realize because she's only 31 so she's got a long career of filmmaking ahead of her uh, obviously, I was very happy with the first two things that she did, El Gigante, and uh, I mean, she might have done other shorts that maybe I haven't seen, but as far as El Gigante and Culture Shock, those are both A-plus in my opinion. I really enjoyed both of those. This one, like I said, a little bit of a misstep, but, you know, if I ever get the chance to speak to Gigi, maybe she'll be able to talk a little bit more about some of the points that we brought up here and maybe limitations that she ran into studio interference you know whatever else the case may be but you know ultimately this isn't anything that i can recommend to too many people but yeah like i said if you're a fan of the two movies that i just mentioned i would say check it out um and hey it's october i mean we're all binge watching horror movies like mad anyway so if you're if you're looking for something new to watch you can do worse than bingo hell you can do better as well but you can still do worse so you know Take uh, take that with a grain of salt and do as you will, my friends. That's yeah, it for I, me, Mike. I honestly think with uh, Gigi Saul Guerrero, I think you know we movie to movie, we, you know we can say okay, this one's better than this one or whatnot. But I honestly think she's at the point now where she a, a, a bigger studio needs to give her a budget, like a, a real budget, and see what she can do because I. Regardless of what people think about her individual movies, I think the skills are there, and I just want to see what you know what she would tackle with you know some real money behind her in a you know in a movie. Um, 
because no, I think absolutely. there's enough. He, I, I really don't care that this movie got bad reviews because I don't, you know, I don't think it's nearly as bad as some of like the more bad reviews are saying. I, yeah, I just no, think it's, it's like if if I have to criticize stuff about it, it I would say it's a little on the nose with its messaging. It's it's kind of light as far as the horror goes, mm-hmm. but it's not like a. I, I just don't didn't come away with it thinking it's a bad movie like the way some people are saying yeah i mean ultimately i thought the cinematography was great i think it has a really good score i think the first bingo scene when richard brake shows up i think is really well done i pointed that one out in my notes that the very first bingo scene was very impressive the use of score lighting effects everything that they did in that first scene I thought worked really well. I mean, uh, the performances are all great. I have no issues. Well, great might be a stretch, but still, I I enjoyed everyone's performance in the movie. No one had like a line reading that made me roll my eyes. I I would probably say that the the drug addict, well, drug slash shopping addicted daughter Raquel was probably the worst performance of the film. And that's just because, you know, like I said, I, I, as a viewer, had an issue trying to figure out what the hell she was addicted to. Um, like I said, the movie seems to be implying that she was addicted to shopping. If that's the case, cool. I have no problem with that. I just would have liked a more clear, you know, announcement as to what her issue is. And, and you know, uh, I, I'm not sure. I'm not yeah, it, sure. I mean, <laughs> it, it's, it, it seems like um, she, you know, as a director and, and writer, she is definitely making she's carving out you know her early work so far mm-hmm. tackling issues that are likely close to her her family her community and sure. there's nothing wrong with that i just want to see like you know a bigger studio put like the full push behind her and you know give her you know give her a 90 minute 95 maybe even 100 minute where you can flesh out some characters get cuz i i feel like when you're doing these movies and this isn't to her fault, this is, you know, she's trying to probably get herself out there as much as she can right Mm -hmm. now. But when you're, you know, with a lot of times with like the Amazon platform or Hulu, what you're seeing here is about like the ceiling on these types of films, just because of all the factors that go into Now, yes, there's going to be gems that come along. Um, that just totally rise to the top. But I think her output is good enough to where she's earning something more. And I just want to see what she can do, you know, in that next tier. It doesn't have to be like a, a $50 million honestly, investment, I but mean, just the next level up from what these are. I don't even, I honestly, I don't even think she needs a big studio. I mean, Blumhouse is big enough. Blumhouse has done $10 million movies. So, I mean, if Blumhouse were to give her $10 million, you know, tell her it's going to be a theatrical release, you know, I think she can do some great things with it, especially if they give her the time to do it, you know, give her like six months to make the film. You know, I I don't know if that's feasible. Obviously, I've never made a movie, so I'm not sure. But I'm saying given the time and the money, I'm basically agreeing with Mike, other than the fact that it has to be a big studio. Blumhouse has a large enough to hit multiple markets yeah you know, 3000 uh, screens blah 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 um yeah, to clarify, I, I, to clarify blumhouse money. itself is fine i just don't but when blumhouse makes these like contracts with like these streaming platforms they might have like a cap on oh absolutely as well, opposed to theatrical absolutely yeah so so it can be blumhouse that's fine but blumhouse give her something theatrical 
people that will get like, you know, 10 to 20 instead of like two to five or something. Yeah. The, yeah. Easily. I give her 10 million, give her six months. I guarantee she'll give us something nice and gory. It may, it may not be for everybody once again, because obviously Gigi, you know, is a very, she has a very South of the border aesthetic with all, with all of her films at this point. I mean, even in the description of this film, they don't call Oak Springs a neighborhood. They call it a body of. So obviously, you know, she's she's very in tune and in touch with her heritage. Um, but yeah, I would definitely like to see her make something big that maybe has a broader reach beyond Latinos, you know, something that's going to speak to everyone. You know, something like I, I don't know. I don't even want to venture to uh, try to uh, say something like this movie or that movie, because, you know, I'd like to think that she would give us something really original if she had the time and the money. So, yeah, I, I mostly agree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I was going to say, from what, what I've seen of her, I think she's done better at shorts than feature length. Oh, I, I haven't. The one issue, like I said, the one issue we I had with Culture Shock was its structure was much more set up as a series of shorts that were edited together. Uh, you know, they were they were a continuous story, but they were told it was set up to be like a twenty minute structure every 20 minutes was a new short feature. And I think that's where she works best. Uh, I've seen a couple of her shorts. El Gigante is not her first one. I think it's maybe fifth or sixth. Oh, if I remember. <laughs> yeah. Um, if I remember the order, which I don't, because I haven't seen all of them, I think it's her fifth or sixth, okay. but yeah, um, I I've seen a couple of them. They're, they're just, they're just as good. Um, they're not, you know, they're not like amazing or anything, but they're they're all really good. El Gigante is probably the best of the ones I've seen, but that's sort of where I feel her strength lies is the short, not necessarily her feature length thing. I think she still needs more of a jump in, like more of like a connecting phase in between, because I, I I'm trying to figure that you know, she's got her she's got the aesthetic down. She's got you know she has a distinctive style that I really like. And I, you know, she, I, I know that she's obviously a huge fan because everything she's done is genre fair, but I, I just, I haven't seen from her enough yet to say that making the feature length is where her strength lies. I like her doing shorts. I like her doing anthology entries. Maybe she just needs more cracks at it because, you know, it, technically this could, this is still tech, you know, her still second feature length film. So, you know, maybe she just needs more time at it, but I like her more as a short director than a feature length director. I'm just going to say that. I love her shorts. I mean, I, and you know what, as you were speaking, I completely forgot that she did my favorite short uh, from Barbaro Mexico. Uh, Dia de los Muertos, uh, the short, and which I fucking love. I totally forgot that that was her as well. Uh, you're right, Don. It looks like El Gigante is her fourth short. Oh, no, wait, fifth. No, you're right the Not first yet. time. Fifth. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've seen, I, I think I've seen enough from her because ultimately both of her films, both of her feature length films have been lower budget. You know, one was Into the mm -hmm. Dark and now this one for this. Um, that's why I think me and Mike are both wanting to see obviously it's going to be hard for a studio to you know uh, invest that much money in maybe an unproven feature length director um, well the, but there's also the matter of like directing versus writing like i could say or i could say as a writer yeah if you if you're gonna 
put the money behind her her efforts as a director that's one thing but then as a writer maybe you bring in like someone to like script supervisor or someone to oversee yeah. the writing with her because leaving i think her directing her is, is fine she, yeah leaving her, her writing to maybe writing, flesh out more characters leaving her a sole writer director on a featuring film i don't think she's there yet I, I don't I don't see her as just sole writer director of a feature length project. I don't see that yet. I, I like the idea of, you know, putting someone in there that, you know, maybe, like you said, has a bit more experience fleshing the stuff out so it flows a little better. But I'm not saying this to crap on her by all means, because I like I said, I'm a huge fan of her shorts. I love the stuff I've seen of hers. I really like the feature lengths, but I just I'm not in love like you guys are. So I think that's sort of what's keeping me. Well, I think I'm the only one who's in love. Yeah. Making me (laughs) seem like I'm the Debbie Downer when, you know, I I really do like her work and I want her to continue. And, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, she has to stop or just stay shorts for the rest of her career, but I'm just, I'm not at that level yet. And I'm, it, it saddens me because like I said, I really like, her shorts and i want to see her as a feature length i just i don't see you know maybe she just needs to step away from making from wrecking tv features and just do one for herself maybe that's what she needs to do uh, i potentially i guess um yeah i i see your point i'm I, I, like i said i'm gonna say i'm gonna agree to disagree uh for whatever reason um for the reasons that we've already listed um it seems like mike and i are more into wanting to see because ultimately every director needs that chance. And and for my money, the two features that she's done because they were lower budget and that th- because they were for a specific series that needed to be out by a certain time, um, I'm giving her her credit for being able to put stuff together quickly. Um, she recently put together a short in like what, seven days or something. Uh, she was part of that challenge, like a, a short and, uh, I forget exactly what the challenge yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was that Mistress of Bones thing, wasn't it? I I believe so. I'm I don't I I'm not 100 percent sure, but I I do know that. Yeah, like, I, like I said, I follow her on Twitter and Insta, and yeah, she was talking a little bit uh, a few months ago about you know putting a short together in like seven days or something like that. It was part of a competition, blah blah blah. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I said, I guess it's just gonna have to be a wait and see type of thing. Um, I'm very curious to see where she goes. Like I said, I'd like to see her. I agree with Don in the sense that I don't think the trust in the community is there to give her $10 million and, and all the time that she needs to make a film. I personally believe she can, and I think it would potentially, I would almost guarantee it would probably be her best feature if she had the time and the money to really flesh out everything that she wanted to do, especially with her practical effects, um, which are almost always stellar. Um, yeah, I would, I would like to see it. It's just a matter of, you know, if she does make something else that's still Latino centric, is it going to speak to everyone? And like this movie may not be ultra Latino centric, but it's elderly centric. So like I said, I can see 20 and 30 year old twenties and thirties genre fans, maybe not as into this, um, as say me, who is an old man in his own right. So yeah, so there it is. What else you got, Mike? Um, I I wouldn't even. Well, I, I'm trying to think because, like, I honestly don't even wouldn't even have a problem if like, uh, our, she got a bigger budget and it was still like a 
Latino centric story. I mean, yes, you can find nuances in the story to make it appeal, I guess, to a wider audience. But I, I kind of like when people, instead of just trying to write like something like generic for everyone that they actually do try to take stories, you know, that reflect their community or Wait, how not generic. they grew up. Did you just say generic? <laughs> I said something for everyone, not generic. <laughs> Well, generic in the sense that oh, it has to appeal to everyone out there that right. that want because because you see it all the time reviews of movies. Oh, is this another one of those types of movies? Like it's it's annoying, it's frustrating, even entertain that kind of stuff. But look at I mean, when people look, review look at somebody, stuff. Look at somebody like a Jordan Peele. His movies are very black centric, but they still are for everyone. You don't have to be black to understand the subtext in a Jordan in a Jordan Peele movie. Um, it might help, sure. Well, and we I know don't. I'm comparing. We Apple don't, but I can read plenty of stuff online that people say the opposite. I and yeah. not that and not that their voices that. should matter as much, <laughs> yeah. but uh, but like even even something like Candyman. Look at some of the negative reaction to it and what people are saying, like being ridiculous about. Oh, well, why right. is he being ridiculous? So I don't have to listen to those people. That's the point. <laughs> I, I, I like to have people, I like to read and listen to people that can defend their opinions. If you're just going to say Candyman is too black because they mentioned gentrification, then your opinion doesn't matter. And I don't want to talk to you. Your, your movie opinion is shit and I don't care. I, if you're going to tell me that a movie like Candyman is too quote unquote woke, you better be ready to defend that statement and tell me why. Um, Cause if you're just going to sit there and tell me, Oh, it's too woke and then not have a follow up, I don't, like I said, I don't give a shit about your opinion. You're not a valid uh, cinephile. I don't give a shit. Um, like I said, we, we already discussed Candyman. All three of us agreed that it is not heavy handed with this message. It's there. It's present because it needs to be. But it's not Black Christmas 2019 where you're literally getting slapped in the face with a vulva. It just no, fuck you. It's it's too much. Uh, no. Yeah, I mean I agree with all that generally. I I don't know how to. Maybe I'm not putting it correctly. Like yeah, you have to. I think you're 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 trying a little too hard. I, I understand what you're saying, and I think most of the listeners understand what you're saying I, just when you said generic i kind of flipped out <laughs> yeah maybe generic was the wrong term <laughs> i uh, uh, yeah i, I, know what I you don't mean. know something for the masses something more for the masses you you think that she doesn't need to do that i don't think that she needs to i think she should to get her name out there she needs well i guess what i mean is what <laughs> what i mean is i think you can still write a Latino centric story that will appeal to the masses. I guess that's what I'm saying. Like she doesn't have to, I don't necessarily think she needs to move away from stories that reflect her upbringing or her culture or her background in order to appeal to the masses. Now, yes, you might make tweaks to characters or the overall like nuances within the story, but I don't just because it's like a Latino centric or Hispanic, you know, or whatever. I already, up how to say it because then but you know what i'm saying venom i know what you're I, saying I don't think she necessarily has to go away with that in order to appeal to a wider and nor do I. I i don't think she has to i'm saying i would like to see her do it there's a difference she she well, can make I, I would, I would like movies for the rest of her career and i will love her the exact same 
but she's I mean, I would like to be that little filmmaker. I would like to see her do it if that's what she wants to do. But oh, like, of I course, don't... oh my, duh, <laughs> come on, I'm not putting my words in people's mouths here. <laughs> oh, I, I, no, I know, I'm just but I... what I would like to see. What I'd like to see. If she doesn't want to, that's completely her prerogative. Yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. Like yeah. if she makes like, like if she if she had a desire to make a creature feature out of nowhere it's that like we just didn't know about, like, I'd like do a remake. Like, why not somebody give her a remake, but not not a remake from like the last thirty years? Like, get, you know, give her something like uh, I don't know, humanoids from the deep or something. I don't know. That that might be a bad example. Try to change her career now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably right. But you know what I mean. Like, I, that's another thing I would like. Doesn't mean that she has to. Doesn't mean that it's vital for her career. But I think, I mean, you know, if if she could, well, see, yeah, I think I think that would be a good opportunity where she gets hired to like direct something she didn't write, and then she can really focus on showing off her directing sure. chops, and then off that that's when she's like okay now i have enough uh capital with the studios that my next one's going to be something that's like my project that i get to direct so you know there's a trajectory there that hopefully happens i mean yeah like i said if she never gets any more popular i will still forever be a fan you know if she just keeps making awesome shorts and you know uh, okay to good feature films I, i'm right on board but you know it's it's one of those things that i feel like the trajectory is there and i i, I just i you know maybe it's just because i am hispanic i want to see a latino director do big things you know or more latino directors do big things i'm not latino i my family actually is from spain i am hispanic but still you know we we kind of have the same dna if you will not really but you know what i mean so, yeah, it's just one of those things where I, I wish her success and I want to see it. Um, and I just don't know that she's going to get it on the same, just doing the same thing, especially like uh, the shorts thing. Yeah, she makes great shorts, but name me a director that only makes shorts. Yeah, see, <laughs> that's what I mean. Uh, I don't know that the money is there to only make shorts. I mean, I'm sure you can make a decent living, but again... I, I, I want all this success for her. I want to see it. So, you know, what, what are you going to do? Like I said earlier, it's a wait and see situation. Let's see what she let's see what she gives us in 2022. I know she has another short coming uh, later this year called uh, Netmare. And it looks like she's also doing another segment for a film just called 28. So we've got more stuff from her coming this year. So we won't have to wait long. Um, it looks like they're just going to be shorts or segments from, you know, bigger productions, but it's still something. So, again, wait and see. Yep. Um, but what people aren't going to have to wait and see is what you have out there for for them to listen to. So, oh, God. so list much. them off. List them uh, off. It's October, folks, so you got a lot coming. All right. Main show, No More Room in Hell, still episode 37 is our latest episode where we looked at the two UK 70s films, Tower of Evil and Frightmare. Um, and we also, uh, who was our guest on that one? Was that Jeff? Jeff was Lone. That? Yeah, that was Jeff Lone. Okay, so Jeff Lone was our guest on that one, so check it out. Um, once again, you know, I'll, I'll mention creature features or creature comforts, excuse me, no more room in hell presents creature comforts, uh, with the esteemed Donna Nelly, myself and Derek B, uh, reviewing 1933's King Kong. Uh, so check that out on the same feed. 
Um, once again, I'll let you know It's Not Horror Okay is off for October. We'll be back in the first week of November with a new commentary. In the Mic of Madness, we'll be back in October. Rebecca and I are in the planning stages for an October episode. Um, that'll also be on Dark Discussions uh, Podcast Network. And last but not least, Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space uh, got back together this weekend and we uh, did our new episode. I believe it's episode 22 or 23. Uh, um, Don might remember more than I do. Um, and where we looked at uh, Gamera versus Baragon and the next episode of the Ultraman retrospective that we've been doing the entire time. And then as far as guest spots I have coming up, uh, recently I did a spot with Bo from the Legion Podcast Network on his new show. I'm actually on episode number one of The Dark Parade, which is Bo's new show. We looked at 1960 Psycho and went into a nice in-depth conversation about that one, talking about a lot of its themes and subtext and things like that. So check that. I'm not sure if that episode's available yet, but it should be out on Legion Podcasts. If it's not out already, I'm sure it'll be out soon. Um, let's see. I did a guest spot on the Jacked Up Review Show where we looked at our favorite Mystery Science Theater and Riff Tracks episodes. Uh, that one is an independent show, so you can find that one on Podbean. Uh, later this week, I have a guest. I have two guest spots, one on the, uh, the Joe Blow Horror Show where we will be looking at um, the third of the Romero trilogy, Day of the Dead. This will be, well, the third time I get to review this now, but that's okay because we all love Romero. And then uh, the very next day, I am doing two guest spots on Cut to the Chase. We're actually going to be doing a Thrills and Chills episode where we review, uh, which one is it? It's um, Adam's Family Values. Um, this will be a first time oh, watch for one. me. Yeah. Oh, I've what? Never, First time yeah. watch. I've never watched those movies. I, I I wasn't interested when they came out. And then since then, I've just never gotten back to it. I was always more a Munsters than a Adam's Family for whatever, for whatever that's worth. Yeah, I, I was pretty young when the movies came out, so I saw them in the theater. Oh, yeah. See, I was already like a jilted 20-something-year-old when those mm -hmm. came out, so I, I just didn't really care that I, much. I actually think uh, Adam's Family Values is the better of the two. That's like, I do like, I do like the first one, but Adam's Family Values, they just added like a, some stuff in there that, that I wasn't expecting. And I really liked it. Nice. Um, and then uh, the second part of my guest spot, which will actually be a different episode will be uh, a commentary on a Treehouse of horror episode, a Simpsons Treehouse of horror. I know Mike recently did one. He'll be talking to you about that when we get to him. But I will be recording my episode this week. So that'll be two Cut to the Chase guest spots getting recorded on the same day. Uh, I'm sure they'll be released on you know separate occasions or they might drop at the same time. So once again, all of the shows mentioned are available on the Dark Discussions podcast network, darkdiscussions.com, except for Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space and The Dark Parade, which are both available on Legion Podcasts. Phew, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> uh don what do you got all right so um i have the uh two shows venom mentioned um i do have uh creature comforts which is uh the latest no more room in hell sidecast and uh like you mentioned we also have the uh latest underwater kaiju from outer space which uh was a lot of fun we 
you know, talked about that one. Um, first time watch for me, um, surprisingly, there's a giant monster film that I haven't seen. Yet. <laughs> but yeah, um, great time, a lot of fun getting back into the groove of things and uh, look for uh, more to come soon, sooner rather than later. Yeah. Uh, in terms of guest spots, I only have the uh, two. Um, I still have uh, the, as of uh, now, unreleased phantom galaxy episode looking at a slew of indonesian horror which uh was a lot of fun and uh, i do have a little bit more clarity now on uh, the last episode i mentioned was a, a guest spot on indie film cafe it turns out that uh this was due to um the episode that i recorded on butchers is going to be for their 31 days of indie horror throughout the month of October. So unfortunately, uh, because this was, uh, they're going to be released in the time that they were recorded. Mine is going to be towards the end of the month. Uh, he told me it should be sometime around the 25th, maybe later. Um, but uh, it, it'll be out before the end of the month. Um, it'll be found on Indie Film Cafe, the, the network, much like ours. And uh, Phantom Galaxy should be pretty easy to find. They're another independent show, but uh, they're friends of mine. So, uh, yeah, uh, other than that, I uh, just have to wait on Lacey to get back to me to record um, our Thrills and Chills episode on uh, Cursed with uh, Internet Down All Day. Of kind of spin, kind of put a lot of um, our plans uh, on a hiatus. But... Um, yeah, uh, looking forward to that one because I, I, I got cursed, so uh, I'm part of that like you guys. So <laughs> just have, since uh, <clears throat> since uh, today was uh, no go for much of Facebook and uh, all that other goodness, uh, plans got put put pushed back beyond what they what I thought they would be. So just waiting on that to get finalized, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to talk about that sometime soon. But uh, that's it for me. All right, so Venom named most of my stuff, but like he mentioned, I was a guest on Cut to the Chase, Thrills and Chills. I did Treehouse of Horror, I believe it was number three, yeah, number three, which was in the fourth season of The Simpsons because they didn't have it the very first season. Um, And then I was also on there to talk about the Jim Carrey 1985 comedy Once Bitten seen in a long time Uh, (laughs) so we talked about that and uh had a good time so check those out and i think they're releasing a treehouse of horror episode like one a day for the entire month yeah yeah Um, that's why they waited till now because there's now enough episodes that they could do one every day in october mm -hmm. what great timing (laughs) (laughs) um yeah but that's it for me uh go back to the theater next week i think we are right are we or this actually this week because are we? I thought no, there next, was something coming on the eighth. Next week. No, uh, this week. Uh, yeah, because uh, I'm pretty sure. Next week. I'm pretty sure we're doing VHS on the next episode. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> I home, the that, home that, theater. Like, I mean, that's my absolute favorite uh, found footage franchise. And if they put out a new uh, chapter, we're doing it. <laughs> Yeah, and plus just, I don't think there's yeah. anything theatrical this week anyway. So yeah, Halloween Kills is the first October release. We've already gone over. Yep. For that. So starting right. with Halloween Kills, we'll have yeah. like four or five weeks in a row at the theater. All right. So VHS viral next. 
Not viral. HS94. Or, excuse me. HS94. Uh, we already uh, did viral. <laughs> yeah, we did viral a while ago. All right. So, yeah. Our our next handful of episodes mapped out already. Cool. All right. Well, we're going to get out of here then. So, uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. We will catch you in a week's time. Uh, say bye to the listeners. Later. Buenas, buenas noches, abuelita.